The reading today can be found on 1117, which is Acts 20. Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray together. Please keep the passage open in front of you, page 1117, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, you would help us to be uh, alert. Help us, Father, where, uh, where maybe our minds are likely to drift. Help us to focus on your word and on what you are teaching us this morning as we come to it. Help us to be ready to listen and to learn and to put it into practice. Amen. Well, before we get into the passage, I want to say thank you to those who uh, uh, took us through the forward focus last Sunday and John for preaching for us. Uh, it was great that uh, you were able to step in and do that. Uh, sadly, I wasn't able to be here last week um, because I had COVID. Um, and uh, so thank you to those who uh, who took up uh, those roles and, and took us through it. Thank you particularly to Cara and to John uh, for taking us through that forward focus. Well done them. Thank you for doing it. Um, what should we be doing as the church? What is the church to be doing? 
um, is what we're thinking about. Uh, we were going to think about this last week at the Forward Focus, uh, and we were going to think about it over two weeks. Last week and this week, we were going to do this passage over two sermons. Um, but because I wasn't here last week, John preached on Ezra too. And so we've got uh, this week, just this week, to focus on this passage, which doesn't mean you've got two sermons in one. Um, and I hope by the end of it, it doesn't feel like you've had two sermons in one. Uh, but we're doing the whole passage in, in one go. And it's good, uh, as you get to this time of year, Forward Focus, our annual meeting, just to have a, a little time just to think, what is it that we should be doing? What is it that we as the church, what's our mission? What are we instructed to do in God's word? Uh, I was listening a, a little while back to the sermon by a guy called Dick Lucas. I fairly frequently quote from him. Some of you uh, have known him in the past. He was um, rector of a church right in the city, uh, uh, in the heart of the city of London. And um, in this sermon, he was saying about how some elderly relatives of his uh, were talking together about the fact that he was uh, leading this church, vicar of this church. Uh, and one said to the other, you know, I mean, they seem a bit bemused and, you know, about what he was doing. Uh, and one said to the other, what, what do you think he does all week? What does he do? And the other one said, well, I, I imagine he probably shows people round the church. Uh, and Dick then said, um, of course, if that's your view of what ministry is, then you're really, really mistaken. And then he said, of course, if you're new today and you want to have a look around, I'd be delighted to show you around the building, which I thought was a lovely touch. And if you want to have a look around this building, I'm happy to show you around. But that's not what ministry is. That's not what ministry is to be about. It's important that we think about this, that all of us think about this, not just church leaders, because um, it's important everyone is thinking, okay, what is the church to be about? Because it saves a whole load of confusion and uh, upset later on if you're thinking, well, we as a church should be doing this, and actually we're doing something different. So we all need to know. But actually for the future of Emmanuel Church, it's important as well. At some point, uh, I will move on from this post. I don't know when, I have no idea when, but at some point that's going to happen. And actually, when it comes to appointing a successor, the, the church family has a significant role in that. I mean, there are reps from the church who are involved in that kind of appointment. And therefore, actually, you need to know what is a church to be about? What should a minister be doing? Uh, how good have they got to be at showing people around the building? That kind of thing. But also, at some point, maybe you'll be helping someone think about joining a church. Maybe... Uh, members of your family or you know people the way you go and actually you want to help them think well what's important in church life what should you be looking for so we all need to know don't we what uh, what goes on in a church what we should be doing and this passage is a great one to come to and to sort of keep coming back to periodically to think what should we be doing because this passage is Paul speaking to leaders of a church or of churches. He's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. Now, at this point in the book of Acts, Paul is heading towards Jerusalem. And on his journey to Jerusalem, he could have gone to Ephesus, but he decided not to. He skirted round it, but he wanted to meet with the leaders of the church of Ephesus. So he calls them to him at a place called Miletus, and uh, he meets with them. And he says to them, we saw it in what, what he was saying, he says to them that this is the last time that they will see him. These are his last words to them. Well, that uh, gives these words some kind of weight, doesn't it? These church leaders, Paul saying, I'm never going to see you again. Therefore, this is what I'm going to tell you. 
And in the book of Acts, this is the only time Paul addresses uh, Christians and, and church leaders. And therefore Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is including this here for us to read to see, well, this is what the church should be doing. Okay, so with that preamble, what should we be doing? What can we learn from this passage? Well, we're going to see three things. And the first thing that we're going to see is how ministry is to be done. It's interesting. Paul, right from the start in what he says, he tells them about what he did. He says, you you remember my way of life. Remember what I did. Now, he's not doing that just to reminisce with them. He's not drawn them all this way over to Miletus just to have a bit of time of reflecting back. You know how some relatives do that. Where, you know, all they do is just reminisce about the past. I mean, it can be wonderful to do. It can be lovely. But that's not what Paul's doing here. He's telling them about his way of life and his ministry so that they'll imitate it, so that they'll copy it. And he begins with his way of life. He doesn't begin with a list of things there to do. He doesn't say, you know, you've got to remember, you know, make sure you organise the church lunch. Make sure that you sort out the building. Make sure you do this. He doesn't sort of say, get the rotors in order. He doesn't say all those kind of things of what you're to do. He says how you're to do it to begin with. So have a look. Verse 18. Sorry. Yeah, verse 18. See what he says. Have a look. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Okay, so he's being opposed. Uh, He was when he was in Ephesus. And he says to them, This is how I did it. This is, remember how I did it. And it's interesting, the first thing that he says is, remember, I served the Lord with great humility. I served the Lord with great humility. Now, just think for a moment. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to think about this. What, imagine, what kind of ministry would that have looked like for Paul to be able to say, you know, eh, this wasn't secret, I'm not making this up, you know, I served the Lord with great humility. Just think for a moment. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. What do you think that would have looked like? Okay, you've got an image in your mind maybe of what a ministry would look like where people would think, oh yeah, that's a ministry. That's a minister with great humility serving the Lord. Now let's make sure that it is true to what the Bible says about what humility is. You see, we might think that humility means maybe Paul wasn't very definite about the truth. We might think that, might we? That at the front, maybe he wouldn't be prepared to say, this is right, this is wrong. Because in our minds, maybe that isn't humble. But that's not right, is it? Because Paul was definitely prepared to do that. He was very definitely prepared to say, this is true, this is false. Uh, We see it later on, we see it in some of the letters that he wrote. Later on uh, this summer term, we're going to look at the book of 2 Timothy. And in there, he describes some people uh, whose teaching was that the resurrection had already happened. And he says of those people, they have departed from the truth. He was very prepared to say they were wrong. Okay, so that's not humility, just to be sort of fluffy on that and woolly and go, well, I don't really know. No, that's not humility. Nor is it being unprepared to confront people. 
We might think that, mightn't we? That, that someone who's humble wouldn't be prepared to cause any kind of controversy or, or upset anyone. But Paul was very prepared to confront people. It even says in the book of Galatians that Paul confronted Peter, one of the other apostles. He says he confronted him to his face, face to face, because he stood condemned. Now that's strong words, isn't it? Prepared to confront, prepared to confront a church as well. In the book of Galatians, he says of the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's prepared to confront them, isn't he? So that's not about humility. So what is it then? What is humility? How can he say, you know that I serve the Lord with great humility? Well, let's get the clues from the passage. He says, verse 19, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. And tears come up later on as well, don't they? He seems to emphasise this, that he was tearful when he was with them, which uh, doesn't just mean he was a particularly emotional kind of guy, but that actually I think this is pointing to a love for them, isn't it? Say, I, I, I loved you guys and I, I was tearful when I was with you. One of the commentators also says, you pair together the beginning of what Paul says with what he says at the end. They go together. So we can just cast our eyes down to the end of his speech, just a little bit beyond uh, what Sue read for us. Verse 32, sorry, verse 33. Have a look at this. Verse 33, let me read this for us. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by, the, by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So what's that saying about how, his attitude, how he was with them? He said, I didn't covet your silver or gold. In other words, I didn't want your possessions, your money. I didn't covet that. That, and I didn't demand from you anything rather I worked hard to meet my own needs and the needs of my companions so what does that how what does that point us to in terms of humility I think that's saying uh, Paul didn't go to Ephesus with the idea of just gaining from the Ephesians of being leech like and sort of just sucking from them but rather he put their needs before his own didn't he, he say I'm going to serve you that's what I'm here for. You, see, you can do that, can't you? You can do that and confront. You can do that and be strong on truth. But there's got to be that humility, that love there, the tears, the I'm concerned for you. Now, we need to be careful on this. Um, we need to learn from this. Um, to be a ministry, and I need to learn to be a minister who is humble. Not out to gain things from other people, but to serve. Now, uh, ministries and ministers can do this, uh, can get this wrong financially. It's possible uh, that you might go into ministry and, you, and actually what you're trying to get from people is their money. Church of England system is such that it's good that I'm not paid directly by you guys. It's done in a different way. So there, is, there are kind of safeguards there, which I think is, is really helpful. But nevertheless, church leaders can be out just to get people's money, maybe for ministry. I read this last week uh, about a church 
I've mentioned it before, it's a church up in Durham. Now, we've got to be careful talking about other churches and problems and difficulties in other churches. There are bound to be more than one side to a story. But in the article that I read in, um, uh, in Evangelicals Now newspaper, they were saying in this church, one of the elders was describing the fact that the minister there, uh, he had felt coerced by that minister into mortgaging his house to give to the ministry. You know, well, that... That doesn't seem like a humble ministry, does it? Like I say, there's probably more going on there, but that doesn't sound right, does it? There's not a ring of kind of this great humility of serving if there's that kind of coercion going on. But we can do it in other ways, that we might go into ministry, and this isn't just for church leaders, this is for any involved in any ministry, that we might go into it not actually for financial gain, but for other things that we want to gain from people. We go into it because we need... We need love, or we need approval, or we need acceptance from others. And that's why we're doing it. And we've got to be careful on that, to go, no, that, that's not right. How might we know? A couple of diagnostic sort of tests for us to see if that's us. And they go in opposite directions, two tests. These aren't the only ways of testing, there may be other things. One is, if we go into a ministry, an area of ministry, serving in some way, and we give up too easily. Why why might that be an indication? Well, we give up too easily because we went into it because we wanted something, we needed something, and we're not getting it from that ministry. And actually, it turns out it's hard work, and we're not seeing results very quickly, and we're not getting the affirmation that we wanted or the the love that we needed, and therefore we go, well, I'm going to give up on that. So maybe we give up too easily. But the other way is we never let go of a ministry. And we can do that as well. Because if we're having our needs met, if we're getting the love of others, getting the approval, if we're getting something from it, actually we go, I am never giving that up because I need that. Whereas a humble ministry will go, I'm going to persevere in ministry, even when it's hard. But I will be very happy to change that ministry or even give up that ministry to someone else, if actually that is going to be the best thing. So a couple of little tests for us. Humility. That's where he starts. Now, uh, we go on to the second point. What's the church to be doing? That's how we're to do it, with humility. Second, the heart of ministry. Well, clearly Jesus is the heart of ministry. Yes, before you correct me on that, of course Jesus is the heart of ministry. But in terms of what we're to be doing... What's at the heart of ministry? Well, Paul is very clear as he goes through this speech. Over and over again, he talks about some form of teaching or preaching or proclamation or testifying. But it's kind of the same thing. The heart of ministry is teaching. It's a teaching ministry. So let's just see that as we go through. Would you have a look? Have a look in the passage. Verse 20. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. There you go. There's his teaching ministry, isn't it? Preaching. Uh, He preaches what's helpful, so he's got an eye on those that he's preaching to. And everywhere, publicly, in the public arena, house to house, house churches, domestically, you know, he's going around, he is teaching, he's preaching. And he's doing it to everyone. Verse 21, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Everyone, Jews, Gentiles, everyone, and it's the same message, isn't it? Repentance, that is, you've got to turn to God. It's not, it's not a message of everyone's all right, you're doing okay. It's a message of everyone needs to turn to Jesus. 
to God, to repent and turn to him. Verse 22 to 24, he describes the suffering that he knows that he's going to face at some point. And he says, nevertheless, verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. In other words, proclaiming it, preaching it, teaching it. He says, that's what I've got to do. Even though it's going to be really hard, and I know it's going to be, that's what I've got to do, because that's what God's given me to do. And he says, verse 25 to 27, he recalls his time with them. He says, now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. He's saying, I've done this ministry to you. I've proclaimed the word of God. Therefore, I'm innocent of your blood. That has an idea of a watchman. A watchman in a city, on the city walls. And that watchman on the city walls, if he sees an army is attacking, he is to blow the trumpet, blow the horn, to raise the alarm. And if he does it, he's innocent of the blood of the people. You know, the blood is on their own heads, they've got to react. If he doesn't do it, he is, uh, he is to be held accountable for not blowing that trumpet, not raising that alarm. And Paul is saying, I've done it. I've raised the alarm. I've blown the horn. I've blown the trumpet. I've proclaimed the message. Therefore, I'm innocent of your blood. That's how important the preaching and teaching ministry is. He says, if I've done it, I've done my job. Now, that's uh, helpful for us again, isn't it? Uh, he is not saying everything that a church is to do, but he is saying what is at the core of the ministry, which is the preaching and teaching of God's word. And as a minister, that is my role. That is my job to be preaching and teaching. It's not all I'm to do, uh, as um, it's helpfully said. Chris Green in his book on Acts says at this point, of course, church leaders are also Christians. And therefore, as Christians, there are things we've all got to do. You know, we've all got to be involved in encouraging people or evangelism or giving or, you know, a whole load of things, loving people practically. We've all got to be involved in that. But the role of a pastor, the role of the pastor teacher is to teach, to teach God's word. There could be all kinds of different styles of church. Maybe you in the past have come from another style of church. You can have more formal churches, more informal churches, churches with rock bands, churches with, that play the organ, churches. You know, there can be a whole load of different styles of church. The key thing is there's got to be the teaching. There's a baker's got to have bread in it. Butcher's got to have meat in it. Church has got to have teaching. Which is why I think actually it is essential to guard the, the preaching of God's word. Make sure it is happening week by week. Uh, quite a while ago, um, I would sometimes have people say to me, couldn't we this Sunday maybe not have the sermon and do something else, something different? It was probably something good, you know. <laughs> it wasn't something dodgy or anything. But, um, you know, something good. But actually, the important thing is to say, no, every week we're going to have the preaching of God's word. Because that, we've got to have that. It's a really good thing, more than a good thing. It's an essential thing for us as a church. Why? Why is teaching so important? This is our last point. Why is teaching so important? And I've given this a little title of Wolves and the Word. Wolves and the Word. Paul describes the situation of the church in Ephesus. 
And he says, verse 28, keep watch. And at the end he says, be on your guard. Or later on he says, so be on your guard. Keep watch, be on your guard. He's saying to these church leaders, because there's danger about. Okay? Keep watch. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Important truths in there, uh, things like the fact that church leaders need to keep guard of themselves and the church. That's an important thing that we need to do. So actually, as a little aside, um, over the next PCC meeting and next time we've got with home group leaders, one of the things we're going to think about is how do we keep guard? How do we keep watch of ourselves? as well as the flock. How do we keep watch of ourselves? So we're going to be thinking about that. That's important. And notice uh, that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers of this church. Uh, That's interesting because actually it would have probably been Paul or one of the people he'd sent who would have actually appointed them. But he's saying, no, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of this church. Verse 28, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Ooh, do you see how valuable the church is in God's sight? He bought the church with his own blood. For all of us, how valuable is the church gathering? How valuable is Emmanuel Church? God paid for us with his own blood. That's how valuable we are. That's how we should think of one another. Important, isn't it, that we value this, the gathering of God's people in this building. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Now, that would have been an interesting development, wouldn't it, when Chris was doing that all-age bit with the sheep here, um, if he'd actually got someone coming in being a wolf and savaging them. Probably not ideal for an all-age slot. But that's what Paul is saying here, isn't it? One of the commentators, I think, did a wonderful understatement at this point uh, when he said, the prospects for the Ephesian church are not wholly promising. Yeah, a flock of sheep with wolves among them. Those sheep, their prospects are not wholly promising. No, it's going to be brutal, isn't it? There's going to be a slaughter. That's what he's saying. There's going to be a massacre. Where are the wolves going to come from? Verse 30, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. I reckon there'd have been a silence at that point, wouldn't there? These church leaders in front of Paul, he's saying savage wolves are going to come along. Some of you. Some of you are going to be these wolves. Now that's sobering, isn't it? What do they do? How do wolves attack? I mean, you know how wolves attack sheep. But how do wolves in a church attack sheep? We need to know, don't we? Verse uh, 30, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. That is, uh, more literally, they will speak twistingly. So they will take the truth and they will twist it. It's rare, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you had someone come along, came up to the front here and just said, Jesus isn't God, you know, he didn't die for us. You know, everyone would go, (coughs) you know, false teaching, we spot that one. That's not how the wolves attack, though. Oh, they might try, 
But that's easy, isn't it? No, they twist. Twist the truth. So they might take the Bible in bits where actually it's clear they'll say it's not really that clear. Or they'll undermine the reliability of God's word. It's an authority, but it's not the authority, they might say. Or they might take one bit of the Bible and actually make it contradict another bit of the Bible. So they'll say things like, oh, God is love. And we go, yes, God is love. And they say, therefore, of course, God wouldn't be angry with anyone. He wouldn't send anyone to hell. Well, maybe you go, well, that's easy to spot that one. But look, you see what they've done? They've taken one bit of the Bible and made uh, made it contradict another part of the Bible. They twist the word of God. Now... If that's how wolves attack, we need to be aware that if people twist the word of God, twist the truth, and people believe it, that is sheep being savaged, isn't it? If we believe the twisted message, the false gospel, that means people are being savaged at that point. Therefore, truth really, really matters. I think in our culture at the moment, people will tend to think, oh, it doesn't... Does it really matter what you believe? I believe this, you believe that. Doesn't really matter. It matters. Paul is saying if the truth is twisted, people believe what is false. They are being savaged. It matters what we believe. Now, this sounds terrifying, doesn't it? If you're a church leader in any capacity, you think, how on earth can we cope with this if there are going to be wolves maybe even wolves among us how do we cope it just sounds terrible why why would anyone be a church leader well paul is at pains to say actually you do have what you need yeah there are wolves but you've got the word now paul isn't panicking here he's saying you've got what you need because you've got the word He says, be on your guard. And then verse 32, this verse is such an encouragement. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That verse is so important. He says, look, I commit you to God. You're church leaders, you can't do this. You can't protect the flock on your own. You'd be terrible at it. You'd be savage yourself. But I commit you to God. God is with you. And to his word, the word of his grace. Why? What can the word of his grace do? It can build you up. It can build you up. Not just protect you, it can build you up. Strengthen you, make you stronger, make you grow in the faith. The word of his grace can do this. And it can give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. That is an eternal reward, eternal life. So for now and for the future, the word of God's grace. And notice it's the word of God's grace. Have you noticed in this service how many times, this wasn't in my thinking, maybe it was in Chris's thinking as he planned the service, how many times in songs we've heard about grace this morning? And we think, well, grace, that's obvious, isn't it? We know what grace is. Grace is when God gives us the things we don't deserve. It's easy, isn't it? It's simple. You know, it's a simple truth. And Paul is saying, yes, it's a simple truth, but it is deep, it is profound, it is that word of grace that can build you up. None of us have full understanding of God's grace. 
I was talking uh, with someone uh, with someone involved in counselling, and I, I said to them, um, uh, the, the problems that we face, that people require counselling for, um, how many of them actually come down to not really having God's grace? And he said, yeah, I, th- I think pretty much all of them. It's about getting God's grace. The fact that we are fully forgiven through Jesus, getting that seeping into pushing into every corner of our lives. Uh, And that is the big thing. It can build us up. So that is what we've got to keep coming back to. We have God's word, and therefore we have all we need. Yet the wolves will attack from outside the church, from inside, but the word of God can keep us safe can build us up and give us an inheritance. And that's why teaching is so essential. So, what have we seen? Three things. How is ministry to be done? It's to be done humbly. What's at the heart of ministry? Teaching. Why? Because of wolves and the word. Now, I've therefore given you a couple of questions. I thought this might be helpful for us. Something to think about. Go away, think about it. Maybe think about it straight after the service. In fact, I'd encourage you to do that. After the service, we have silence. We have a bit of quiet for your own thinking, your own praying, praying for Ukraine as well. Maybe one thing to do, just think about these questions. They're on the sheet. What difference does today's passage make to your understanding of the church? And if you're a leader, how can this passage shape the ministry you do? So they're on the screen there, but they're on the sheet that you've got, that you were given as you came in. So have a think about them as well, and do talk about them over coffee as well. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. Thank you that you teach us what to do as a church. And we pray that our ministry here would be marked by humility. That we would teach and preach and proclaim And do so faithfully, pointing people to Jesus and the need to repent. And, Father, that you would protect us, Father, from wolves. That you would help us through the teaching of your word of grace to be protected and to be built up. And to take hold of that inheritance, that eternal life. So, Father, please protect us. We need you. And we thank you for your word. Amen.